24 and verse 24. Amen. I believe this is a blessed church because it is a church that obeys the word of the Lord in the area of giving. Your lives have been blessed. We see it in the lives of God's people. And just drive into this parking lot, all kinds of, of nice cars that God has provided for you to drive, and places to live, amen, food to eat. God is just a good God. It is an honor, honor to bring your tithe and offering unto the Lord. Okay, John 4.24, we are looking uh, teaching you the doctrine of God and uh, this will not be the last service on the doctrine of God but we will teach you this morning first of all the nature of God and then the attributes of God alright let's look in John 424 if you have it say praise the Lord it says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we give ourselves emotionally to God in the spirit, but it's based on the truth of the word of the Lord. But the Bible says God is a spirit. So we'll teach you this morning of the nature of God, the attributes of God. Lord, we ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to bring it this morning. I ask God you'd inspire me to speak. For your word is already anointed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. This morning we're going to talk about four basic definitions of God or characteristics of God. When you try to define God, first of all, the Bible says that God is a spirit. Say, is a spirit. That means that God is spirit not physical. Does that make sense? In his nature. Uh, he's spirit. Now, God is a spirit. He took on the form of a man, if you go to Hebrews, and that man is Jesus Christ. So he added to himself another nature. If God is a spirit and he came in the form of a man, that means he added to himself another nature and that nature is humanity all right go to hebrews chapter one verse three the bible says speaking of jesus here who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his substance so jesus is the expressed image of his substance that makes sense to you. But as to the nature of God or the essence of God, God is spirit. Say with me, he is spirit. Okay? That means that he's not flesh and bones. Correct? Now we're talking about the nature of God. Now he added to himself that flesh and bone body, Jesus Christ, the humanity of Jesus Christ. But God is a spirit. So... A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. Jesus made that statement. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that he had. Correct? 
So a spirit is not made up of flesh and bones like us. Not physical. Maybe you can define it like the wind. Spirit is like the ruh. The wind, okay? So it is a non-physical nature of God. Unlike our bodies. Our bodies are physical, okay? Um, so God is spirit. And because God is spirit, that means he's invisible. Does it make sense? Okay. But he added to himself another nature, humanity, when he came, God incarnate. That means God came in flesh, put on humanity, and walked among men so that Jesus is God come in the flesh. But God is spirit. So what you have in Jesus is a dual nature. You have the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. The spirit of God was in Christ. Make sense? So when you try to define God, then you have to understand that God is a spirit. The only time he took on flesh and bones is when he became a man. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, that does not mean that he is impersonal. Okay? Now, the wind is different. The wind, you can't see the wind. The wind is like a spirit. You can't see the spirit. But... The wind is not personal. But God, as a spirit, he's still personal. Let me explain what I mean. He has self-consciousness. That means he has self-awareness. Conscious means to know one self. So he has self-consciousness. He knows himself. He has intelligence. Right? He has self-consciousness, intelligence. He has feeling okay so he's he's not an impersonal spirit does that make sense to you he has determination he has will all right so he is a spiritual being rather than a physical being that is a definition of god so god is spirit now in first john chapter one i won't turn there the next definition of god is that god is light am I boring you already okay God is light the Bible says and in him is no darkness at all okay so that's the nature of God the essence of God he is light he doesn't have light he is light and that means and when you talk about God is light you're talking about the glory of God okay so he is light and in him is no darkness at all Number three, God is love. First John 4 tells us God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. This is a definition of God as to his nature. God is love. Number four, Hebrews 12. God is a consuming fire. It doesn't say he has fire. He is a consuming fire. So God is spirit, God is light, God is love, and God is a consuming fire. And when you talk about God being a consuming fire, this has to do with the holiness of God and his judgment against sin. Okay? We have examples of the fire of God. We see the Bible tells us about a lamp. When Abraham offered sacrifices to the Lord, he's going to enter covenant with God. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord 
God went through those sacrifices, okay? And the Bible says it was a lamp. All right, but that, it wasn't a real lamp, a little lamp walking through the sacrifices. It was God who is a consuming fire coming as a lamp through those sacrifices, okay? The Bible talks about that he was in the burning bush. When he appeared to Moses, he was in the burning bush. He's the fire on the altar. He, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, coals of fire, okay? The Bible talks about tongues of fire set upon each of their head in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. So God is a consuming fire. So that's the, the Bible definition of the nature or the essence or the being of God. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now let's talk about the attributes of God. The attributes of God are the characteristics that make God who He is as God. Does that make sense to you? An attribute of God. The first attribute we'll talk about is that God is eternal. Say with me, He's eternal. That means that He has always existed. There has never been a time when God did not exist. He is eternal God, right? He's always been. Never a time when He wasn't. He's the eternal God. The Bible says He's the I am that I am, correct? And that speaks of his eternality. Now, he's not limited to time, past, present, or future. So right now, God is already in the kingdom age. Okay, because he's not limited to time. He's already in the thousand-year reign. He's already sitting uh, there, you know what I'm saying? Because he's not limited to time. So he's already in the kingdom age. I'm just giving you an example. It reaches further beyond that. He's already in the kingdom age, but he's also back in creation, the first day of creation. And he's here in the present right now. So he's not limited to time. Okay? Uh, he is in all time, past, present, and future time. He is the I am that I am, the eternal God who has always Existed. Does that make sense to you? Eternal God. All right. Now, he's also in his attribute, he is the self existent one. Say the self existent one. That means nobody made him. God is the self existent one. He is the reason, God is the reason for his own existence. Nobody made God. He's the reason for his own, own existence. He's the self-existent one, the uncreated one, right? As the eternal God, he's unbeginning. As the self-existent God, he's uncreated, okay? He's the reason for his own existence. Nobody made him. Uh, he, you got it, okay. All right. He is immutable say immutable that means that he is unchanged and he is unchangeable big old word immutable unchanged and unchangeable now that doesn't mean that he doesn't change in his methods in dealing with man but as to his attributes as to um, his characteristics 
He's unchanged and unchangeable. He's immutable. Now, man is not immutable. We have to change. And we have to be willing to change in order to be what God wants us to be. So don't walk around and act like you're immutable. But you don't need to change. Only God is unchangeable and unchanging in His nature and His characteristics or His attributes. You and I as human beings have to change in order to be what God wants us to be. Okay, so when we, now let me back up just a minute. When we talk about these attributes like God being eternal or God being self-existent or God being immutable, are you all here with me today? These are things that we, these are qualities we don't have. This is what makes God to be God. Okay? I may have eternal life, but I'm not eternal. I haven't always existed. And I'm not for sure self-existent. God made me. And I'm not immutable. Uh, what's that word? immutable because I need to change so the, these attributes of God we're talking about are some attributes that man don't have we will talk about attributes that God has that are communicable which means that we need to walk in them as well but we don't have these attributes as human beings we are not eternal we're not self-existent and we're not immutable okay alright he's omnipotent say omnipotent what does omnipotent mean? Y'all heard that word before, right? Omnipotent? What does it mean? All-powerful. He's all-powerful, which means there's absolutely nothing impossible with God. He's all-powerful. Say with me, nothing is impossible with God. All-powerful. He can do anything. But you need to remember that His omnipotence, His being all-powerful, uh, the fact that it's impossible for God not to be able to do something, is always controlled by His will and His character. He cannot deny... There are, let me put it this way. There are some things God cannot do. The Bible says He cannot deny Himself. God, it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to fail. There are some things that God cannot do. Okay? So you need to remember when you talk about the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God, that uh, it, nothing is impossible with God as long as it lines up with His character, His being, and His will. His will controls His power. So he's never going to do something in his power that's outside of his will or his character. His character holiness makes it impossible for God to sin. Impossible for God to lie. You understand? So we're talking about the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful God. It's controlled by his will, his character, and his nature. Okay? Now, um, omniscience. What is omniscience? Well, let me let me back up. I have to keep backing up. Anybody here omnipotent? Okay. Just want to make sure because I'm trying to emphasize the fact that the, the attributes we're talking about God, these things make God to be who God is. These are things we don't have. All right? 
All right, omniscient. What is omniscience? All knowing. All knowing? Yeah. At all times. Okay, say with me all knowing at all times. Okay, so he's omniscient, all knowing at all times. He knows everything within himself, he knows everything that's going on in the universe. And he knows everything that's going on inside of all of his create creatures. Okay? Let me say it again. He knows everything about himself. He knows everything about the universe. And he knows everything about all of his creatures in that universe. Because he's all-knowing at all times, that means he even knows what you're thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. Okay? Praise the Lord. This knowledge, uh, this omniscience, this all-knowing is unacquired. He didn't acquire it. He never has to learn anything. Okay? You ready? He always has all the facts. That's knowledge. He always has all the facts. That's knowledge. He always has perfect understanding. That means perfect interpretation of all the facts. And he also has wisdom, perfect application of all the facts. You're talking about the omniscience of God. You're talking about his knowledge, has all the facts, understanding, interprets all the facts, always correctly, and wisdom, application of the facts. Okay? Say praise the Lord. That's God. Therefore, he is infallible, which means incapable of error or omission. He cannot err in judgment. He has foreknowledge, foreseeing, foretelling, and foreordination. Okay? As the omniscient God. He's omnipresent. What does that mean? All present, right? Everywhere present. He's not limited by space or time. Now, he's omnipresent, but he's also the immensity, the immensity of that means this immensity he's not just within time and space but he's the immense God immensity which means he's outside of space too okay so when you get a chance sometime go out there and look at the sky look how far away it is okay or you go out there at night and look at the stars God is everywhere present there's no place in this whole universe that God is not present. But He's not just present within space or within the universe. He's also outside of it. Okay? So that means that He is in control of it. It exists because of Him. You understand? He doesn't exist because of space. Space exists because of Him. So that He's outside of everything that we know to be space. This just blows my mind. I mean, I just almost can't even. I'm not omnipotent or omniscient. And I'm for sure not omnipresent. So I can't even really grasp this, what I'm saying. But to think about all space, He's outside of that. You say, how big is God? How big is God? 
Well, he's outside of space. He's in, he's in all space and outside of space. At the same time, there is no place that God is not. Amen? Even in hell. God is even in hell. Now, that doesn't mean that he's experiencing the effects of hell. That doesn't mean that he's uh, being judged as a sinner in hell. His presence is in hell so that he maintains the fires of hell. Right? There's nobody down there in hell right now throwing wood on the fire to keep it going. Okay, if you've got a fire burning, you have to have something energizing the fire. You have to have something, right, that's making the fire burn. Well, it's the presence of God in hell that keeps hell, he maintains hell. That's why hell is not just for a short period of time. Hell is from everlasting to everlasting. And if a person goes to hell, the flames are forever because the presence of God is there sustaining the fire or maintaining the fire. Okay? We talk about the omnipresence of God. It's there, even in hell. And you can't escape the presence of God. If you were to die right now and you go to hell, you cannot escape the presence of God even in hell. God is there. His presence is sustaining and maintaining hell. Right? Okay. So that deals with the omnipresence of God. Space depends on Him for its existence. And then we covered this. Even hell is maintained uh, by His presence. Now, the next qualities we'll talk about the attributes of God are moral qualities moral attributes of God the moral attributes of God are communicable that means he requires them of us okay now we're not got it you with me so far we're not eternal we're not self-existent we're not immutable we're not omnipotent we're not omniscient we're not omnipresent, right? But God calls us to be holy. Okay, so these attributes that we'll cover are attributes of God, but He requires them of us. They're communicable, okay? Holiness. Now, He's holy. Say, He's holy. This is the fundamental attribute of God. Okay? Holiness, the holiness of God was revealed. His holiness was revealed by Him before He ever revealed Himself as a God of love and grace. Okay? Stay with me. God revealed Himself as holy before He ever revealed Himself as a God of love and grace. Because holiness is God's fundamental attribute. It is the foundation of the throne of God itself. Okay? Say, so you understand that? All right? So when you talk about holiness, what are you talking about? You're talking about purity. You're talking about sinless. He is sinless perfection. There's absolutely no sin in God. 
He is completely and totally pure without sin. In fact, he cannot sin. It's impossible for God to sin. Okay? And he cannot tolerate sin. He never tolerates sin. Because, remember, we talked about he's immutable. He doesn't change and is not changeable in his attributes or characteristics. So God can never tolerate sin because he's holy. Amen? Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 1 and 3 that he's so holy, his eyes. Okay? Let's just look at it. What does God say about sin? Habakkuk 1. Let's go there. Praise God, he is. I didn't check this verse here, so I'll check and see. Okay, 13. 113, Habakkuk 113. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. And canst not look on iniquity, wherefore lookest thou upon them that go treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when thou when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he. So Habakkuk said, His eyes are pure than even behold evil. He cannot even look on iniquity. Okay? So if he refuses to even look at iniquity, now that doesn't mean he's not aware of it. He that what he's saying is he does not tolerate it ever. So if you and I put our position in accepting sin, amen, then you are going contrary to the attribute of God's holiness. Because we are never allowed by God's word or God's spirit to ever tolerate sin. Okay? And this is something he calls us to be, and that is holy. Now we'll talk about that in just a moment. So it's a communicable, a communicable attribute. Okay. He is holy in all that he thinks, says, and does. It is a fundamental attribute, the fundamental attribute of God. His throne is established on the attribute of holiness. Okay? And was revealed even before his grace and love. Let's go to Psalm 89, 14. Okay? So people, especially preachers who mock holiness, people in the church who make light of holiness, fail to understand that this is the fundamental attribute of God himself. Psalm 89, 14. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. We talk about justice and judgment. That deals with the holiness of God. So that is the very foundation of the throne of God himself. For God to cease to be holy means he would have to get off of his throne. Okay? So I, I just, again, speak this to you, speak this to the church. For any of you in this church this morning, 
who take a light view of holiness, you're in big trouble because it is the chief attribute, fundamental attribute of God himself. He cannot even look at sin. Okay? Say praise the Lord. All right, well, he tells us in Leviticus, he tells us, be ye holy. Now, just start in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus teaches the people of God how to worship God. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? Deuteronomy. Okay. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus deals with the holiness of God, the whole book. Can you imagine that? The whole book in the Bible deals with the holiness of God. And it's showing man what God requires of him. How we are to worship God. How we are to approach this holy God. And throughout Leviticus he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So this is another attribute of God that he requires of man. And that is that we be holy. Amen. Okay? Go to Hebrews 12. book of Hebrews, New Testament. Not just an Old Testament attribute of God. Again, he doesn't change. Right, Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Okay? So he says, be ye holy as I am holy. And then he says, follow peace and holiness. Okay? Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That means this. That if you and I do not live a holy life separated unto God, separate from sin, separated to God, the Bible says you will not see God. You'll not see God in time while you're alive on earth, and you'll not see God in eternity. Okay? Because the holiness of God, if you yield to sin, give your life to sin, amen, and you don't live a separated life unto the Lord, His holiness, let's do it this way, if you are to stand at the gate of heaven, and you were in sin, His holiness would forbid you to come in. We say, "What I thought God is a God of love." We'll talk about that. But I'm talking about the attribute, the chief, chief attribute of God: His holiness, His purity, His sinless perfection. So, even though He's a God of love, His holiness would keep the sinner out of heaven. Amen. So that the sinner, the person who doesn't live a separated life unto God and separate from sin, then will not see God in time on the earth or in eternity. You'll not go to heaven without holiness. Okay? And I know the God that I serve. And I can tell you as, as your pastor that the things that God defined for us to do, how to live, how to dress, how to act, what to say, where to go. Uh, if any of you ever think that God doesn't really care about all that, I can tell you as your pastor, 
that this is something that I maintain and uphold even in my house. Not just in this church. Okay? Now, let me say this to you. God's mercy will allow you to continue to be in this place, in this church. His mercy and grace. He allows me to continue to be here by His mercy and grace. But His holiness will always be coming after your sin. He will not allow you and I to live a disobedient, rebellious, sinful lifestyle without His holiness coming to judge that. Because that is His chief characteristic. Okay? Man, I'm telling you, a lot of times as a pastor, the holiness, the attribute of the holiness of God is constantly talking to me all the time. Okay? And as a pastor, it's not always easy. You know, the Lord said, okay, you go speak this. You go say this. You got to do this. I always obey the Lord. I don't care who it is. I always obey the Lord. And, you know, you got to take a stand for the holiness of God in your life and in your house. Okay? And uh, I'm not the only one that God talks to. God talks to you as well about your house. He says, you need to go deal with this. Deal with your son. Deal with your daughter. You know, maybe even deal with your wife. And maybe deal with your husband. See, some of you, you live in a, in a world that's not, God doesn't think like you do. See, you, you, you want to define God. Well, God, God is love. So I'm going to open my house to anything and everybody. Sin, filth, impurity, defiling things, defiling people into your house. But I love them. Where's holiness? You have to maintain purity and holiness in your life personally and in your home. And I have a responsibility as your pastor to maintain holiness in this church. And I promise you I'll do it. That's something I will not compromise on. Okay, so just get it in your head. If you don't like that, you can go to another church. But I will not sacrifice holiness to keep you here. So just, just get it down. Just get it down. Go to another church. Okay? If you don't want to live holy, you'll have to. Because we're going to live holy before the Lord. Separate from sin, we're going to seek to be pure before the Lord. We're going to seek to live a separated and godly life. Amen? Because this is the foundation of the throne of God Himself. He would have to get up off of His throne, uh, leave the throne for Him to stop being holy. I, would I want to just be honest with you. I will, I will stop pastoring this church the day you forsake holiness. If after I get through preaching to you the word of the Lord and calling you to a separated, godly, holy lifestyle, and if, if this church goes away from God, I am not going to be your pastor. My pastoring of you is not unconditional. My pastoring of you is as long as you are walking in holiness and righteousness with God Almighty. Amen. And if any time in my life that I forsake holiness, you better find yourself another pastor that's going to lead you into holiness because this is a chief attribute of God Himself. In fact, in heaven, the cherubim there, they cry, the seraphim cry, He's holy, holy, holy. Now I know this probably is 
great to some of you, you know, but I don't really care. Uh, you need to understand this. We need to understand this as a church, especially in this untoward generation. We've got a generation that's coming up right now. A generation of young people who will become more and more apostate with time. We are living in a crooked generation. And not just young people, but even adults. If we're not careful, all of us, we have to continue to maintain purity and um, a life without sin. And that's to be holy. Okay? Sorry. I don't really care what you think. I would rather quit pastoring than to stop preaching holiness. And I know a lot of preachers, they quit preaching holiness. You know why? Pressure. The pressure's on this generation, the liberal generation that I preach to. The pressure's on right now to throw out holiness, to get rid of external holiness, you know, inward holiness, whatever. Just come as you are. We love everybody. You're forgetting an attribute. It's called the attribute of God's holiness. Okay? So I'm really bucking the tide right now, man. I'm really pushing with everything in me. God's pushing me and everything in me right now to maintain holiness. And I appreciate, I'll just say it to you this way. I appreciate all of you who have real convictions. People that want to live holy. It's not being religious. You're not being religious. You understand what your pastor's saying? You're not being religious. You're not keeping rules. You are living holy based on the word of the Lord. And that goes against this generation. It's a perverse generation. You understand? So, I'm not going to give in to the pressure. I know other pastors, they've given in to the pressure. Their churches have gone liberal. Their families are liberal. I'm not giving in. I'm just not going to do it. But I ask you to pray for me because I'm not, I'm not saying that in my flesh. I'm saying that based on conviction. It's something I will continue to uphold and maintain in my house, in my life, and for sure in this church. Okay? Because I can't see God without it. He's called us to be holy. So let me give you some scriptures. I don't have time to get into all of them this morning. Um, so before even the revelation of His grace and love, holiness, He revealed Himself as the Holy God to Moses. You know, and Joshua. Read, read the Bible. You'll find out what I'm saying. Um, Psalm 47, 8. Write that down. Psalm 89, 14. Psalm 97, 2. Psalm 99 and verse 9. Revelation 15 and verse 4. Okay? Now think about it. Why did you get the Holy Ghost? Why did we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? What was the purpose for that? So we could be regenerated, right? Born again of the water and the Spirit. Correct? Well, we need to be regenerated, but you received the Holy Ghost because it's given to you so that He could make you holy. I didn't receive another spirit. 
I received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And so because I received the Holy Ghost, he gave me the Holy Ghost so that I would live holy. It's a communicable attribute of God, his holiness. Praise the Lord. You say, I got the Holy Ghost. You talk about you no know, need to live holy. I question whether you have the Holy Ghost. Okay. All right. So we receive the Holy Spirit to make us holy. John 14, 26. I mean Hebrews. I'll just turn there. Hebrews 2, 11. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Amen. He sanctifies us. He sets apart. Sets us apart. And when we live holy, when we live holy, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. Okay. Uh, so we have John 14, 26, Hebrews 2, 11, Hebrews 12. We read 12, 14, right? Let me go over there real quick. Y'all okay up there? I mean, I know you, I, I know this is not fresh knowledge to you. It's not like a fresh revelation that you've never heard before. Okay. Correct? All right. Hebrews 12.10. Talking about fathers. For they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Hebrews 12.14. Again. All of peace with all men and holiness without which no man should see the Lord. Okay. So praise the Lord. Oh, I tell you. I, I believe I'm preaching to some people that want to live holy. But you have no idea the spirit that I am fighting this morning. This, this, this spirit that comes against what I'm saying, comes against what I'm preaching. The spirit of this generation is an ungodly, it's perverse, it's crooked, it loves sin, it loves darkness. How many of y'all want to be holy? Well, first of all, God is holy. Then he says, be ye holy. And then he gave you the Holy Ghost in order to make you holy, to give you the power to live a holy life. Don't ever say to me, I can't do it. Yes, you can. If you have the power, if you've got the power of God in you, if the Holy Ghost is dwelling in you, you can live a holy life so long as you yield to his spirit. You got all the power you need. When I'm, when I'm having a hard time, I'm trying. Well, sometimes we all do. That doesn't mean we just surrender to sin. We surrender to God. So I thank God for the holiness of God. Um, let's see. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. Revelation 4 and 8. Let's go there. I think that's... And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. They were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and which is and which is to come. These, these seraphim, these seraphim in Isaiah 6, cherubim in Revelation 6, uh, 4, what are they celebrating? What attribute of God are they celebrating? 
Okay, we're not denying any of the other attributes of God, but they're not saying love, love, love. They're saying holy, holy, holy. And they're saying it three times, right? Well, the prophets, prophets sometimes when they were emphasizing a prophetic message to the earth, they would say, hear, O earth, earth, earth. Are there three earths? Hear, O earth, earth, earth. No, not three earths. Some would say, well, there it is. There's, there's a trinity. Holy, holy, holy. No, it's not spoken three times to emphasize the doctrine of the trinity. It's spoken three times to emphasize the holiness of God. Because the Bible calls him what? Not the holy two or three. It calls him the holy one of Israel. He's the holy one of Israel. So when they say holy, 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 it's like hero earth, earth, earth. It's not three earths, not three gods, not three persons. It's to emphasize okay, to the earth or to, to man the holiness of God. It's the foundation of his throne. Do we know what you're going to celebrate when you get in heaven? The holiness of God. When you're worshiping. I love holiness. I tell you, I just love it. it, it it's just a part of my being. It's a part of who I am. I love it. And if you've got God, you will too. Yeah. Right? Okay. So he's perfect in holiness. Absolutely pure, no sin. He's sinless perfection. He does not tolerate sin ever. Not even in my life or your life as a believer. God, would you just accept me? You, yeah, if you, you repent. Do you accept what I'm doing? He'll say no. Well, if he says no, then I can't say yes. I accept you, I love you, but I don't accept what you're doing. That's sin. I love the sinner, but I don't love the sin. I can't. Amen? Will you accept my sin? Will you accept? No, I can't. It goes against the Word of God. Okay. Um, perfect in righteousness. Now, this is another attribute of God. It's the moral attribute of God. Perfect in righteousness. Righteousness and justice. Say with me, righteousness and justice are synonymous. Okay. Now, I already read to you in Psalm 89, 14, that's connected to his throne, fundamental foundation to his throne. Now, what is righteousness then? The righteousness of God. It's an attribute. He's just. He's a God of justice. Now, listen carefully. Righteousness is God in action against my sin. He's perfect in righteousness. Okay? Then righteousness is holiness in action against the sin. That's powerful. I mean, I, this doesn't mean anything to most of you, but it does to me. Let me say it to you again. The righteousness and justice of God are synonymous. And it is the holiness of God in action against sin. 
Okay? They praise the Lord. Second Thessalonians 1 8. I'm not going to read all these. Second Thessalonians 1 8. Uh, Isaiah 11, 4 through 5. Revelation 16, 5 through 7. And Psalm 89, 14 says it's the habitation of his throne. Okay. Now, this is also something God calls us to, to be. So let's go over to Ephesians 4. There is Ephesians 4.24. Now, you know, honest, I was thinking about this yesterday. You think about all these attributes of God. His holiness, His justice, His on and on and on. Okay? And yet He's not a schizophrenic God. I mean, all of this works perfectly within Him. He can be holy, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely pure. Can't tolerate sin. Sin is perfection. He can be righteous, which means His holiness and action against sin, and yet still be a God of love. Sometimes I, I'll be honest with you. I know God's not schizophrenic, but sometimes I feel that way. Because sometimes love rises up into me, you know, and I'm trying to deal with people on the basis of love, and then holiness rises up in me, and I deal with them on the basis of holiness. Righteousness rises up in me. That's action against the action of holiness against sin. That rises up in me. So sometimes I feel a little schizophrenic. I don't know what's kind of going. I just have to operate, have to function with them. Okay, here's holiness, here's justice, here's love. Love doesn't cancel out the holiness of God or the righteousness of God. The holiness of God, the justice of God doesn't cancel out the love of God. They don't cancel out. It's not schizophrenic. Okay? They operate a certain way. And they never change. So holiness will always say, be you separate from sin. Righteousness is action against that sin, but then when you repent and put it under the blood, the love of God comes. The love of God is there. But don't cancel each other out. I know I'm boring you, but hallelujah. Okay, Ephesians 4.24. Uh, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You and I have a responsibility as believers. Remember, these are communicable attributes of God. We have to take them on. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. Okay? Now he's telling us here in verse 24 that we put on the new man, which after God has created righteous and true holiness. So we have to put on that new man of righteousness and true holiness. We have to take action against sin. Okay? We have to live separate from sin and set apart to God. Some people say, well, holiness is just us being set apart to God. It's more than that. It's being separated from sin. And, and, and so do you understand, church, that we live in a world that's corrupt and impure and unclean? And we can go places, do things, watch things, listen to things, be involved with people. You need to be involved with him trying to reach him for God. But you can defile yourself. 
by, be, by hanging with the wrong crowd. You don't believe me, do you? You read the book of Proverbs. It talks about running with the wrong crowd. They will mess you up. They'll get in your ear, in your thinking, in your head, and you'll be messed up. It's not that we don't love them, but we separate ourselves from them because we know they'll mess us up. And that's righteousness. It's not, it's not being, you know, religious. It's being righteous. If I know if I get around certain people, they're going to mess me up. They're going to mess my walk with God up. I'm going to stay away from them. They're my friends. They'll mess you up. They're not being judgmental or self-righteous. He calls us to be, uh, to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Say praise the Lord. I have a choice this morning. What man I'm going to put on? Put on the sinner man, the ungodly man, the worldly man, or I'm going to take, I'm going to put on the new man. Okay? The Bible tells us uh, it's not what God puts on us, it's what we do. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. How are we going to do it? We're for putting away lying. Verse 25. That's part of putting on the new man. Stop lying. Verse 25. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be ye angry. That's putting on the new man. You stop being angry all the time. There's a righteous indignation, but this is not talking about righteous indignation. We're talking about just fleshly outrage. Okay? But be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal, stole, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness. Okay, Ken? This morning I was praying, God, you know, because I'm just going through a checklist in my life. And I'm saying, Lord, I, I just feel like there's maybe some bitterness in here. God, I'm asking you this morning, I'm going to pray with you, God. Asking you to take that out of me. If I'm bitter, take it out of me. Say, Lord, if I'm anger, angry, because sometimes we can't even, you know, we're not sure about it. But God, if I'm angry, I don't know if I am or not. You understand what I'm saying? Are there any honest people in the church today? You, you've got to get honest with God and honest with yourself. I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm sensing maybe something's not right in me. Maybe it's bitterness. God, if there's bitterness in me, take it out. And I said, Lord, if, if there's anger in me, take it out. Because I'm going to be honest with God. I'm going to be honest with myself. And if I don't feel like I, I'm where I need to be, I'm not going to act like I'm okay. David asked God to search his inner, inner man. And said, men of God, God search, search me. Is there any wicked way in me? 
I just want to be sure, God, if I if there's something in me that I don't even really really know is there right now, God, reveal it to me so I can get rid of it. So I can get rid of it. So I can repent of it. If I'm bitter, Lord, show it to me so I can get rid of it. I can repent of it. If I'm angry, show it to me, God. I want to get rid of it. I don't want to be like that. Walk in there. No wonder so many people do not like to live a Christian life. Because it's a constant inspection process. And it's not just about your outward actions, but the way you think, your attitude, your spirit, your heart. You know. But I, I understand that sin will destroy me. I understand that holding bitterness in my life will kill me. I understand, you understand what I'm saying? I understand that anger problems. If, you're, if I'm angry, it's going to destroy me. It's going to destroy my ministry. It's going to destroy my family. I'm not trying to just get rid of Okay, well, that's not really there. You kidding me? It's like having a disease, a sickness in your body, and you just, well, I'm just going to act like it's not there. Well, it's just slowly, slowly eating you away like a canker. You know what I mean? So God's calling us to put on righteousness and true holiness. And he's telling us how here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And now so then we move into the love of God right in that verse. He talks about righteousness and holiness and then he talks about the love of God at the end. Jesus. Sometimes I feel like I'm schizophrenic. But I'm not. Okay, so how am I supposed to respond? Holiness or love? Both. How am I supposed to respond? Righteousness or holiness or love? All. There's a process. You have to recognize what attributes you have to function in at that particular time. Okay? Everybody all right out there? Aren't you thankful for Ephesians 4, 24, 32? God's always working on me. You know, I try to tell my kids, don't give up on yourself. God's always working on me. I'm, he's always perfecting me. He's always calling me to a higher standard. If you mess up, understand judgments will come on it, but you, if you put it under the blood, you repent. God will forgive you. Mercy. Okay, you hear me? So he's perfect in righteousness, and this is something he requires of the believer. Okay, holiness, righteousness, perfect love. Now, here we go. This is one everybody wants to hear. So, we're going to talk about the love of God because everybody, that's all they want to hear is about the love of God. Right? He is perfect in love. When you talk about God is love, he doesn't have love, he is love. When you talk about this, characteristics of God, this is the heart of God. The heart of God, if you understand that. And it's his perfection in his affections. Say with me, he's perfect in his affections. I wish to God, pray to God, I would be, you know, perfect in my affections. 
God is a God of love. He is perfect in his affections. The perfection, perfection of his affection. The love of God reveals the heart of God. Okay. You understand that? And sometimes we think about love as a feeling, it's emotion. You, you, how many of you understand? Love is not a, a, a well, sometimes this is an emotion, an emotion, but love is really not always an emotion. Sometimes I don't feel love. Sometimes I don't feel like loving. Sometimes I don't feel love. Like I'm a mess, aren't I? But, but it's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice of the will. So when you talk about the love of God, it's not merely an emotion that God has. It's a decision of His will to give Himself to us. That's what the love of God is. A decision of His will to give Himself to us. Okay? He's constantly... Now listen to me carefully, church. The love of God, the perfection of His affections, is a decision of His will, not merely His emotion, whereby He gives Himself not just to the believer, but to the whole creation. This is one of the attributes of God. God loves the sinner. God is he's just an awesome God. He doesn't just love you, the believer. He loves the sinner. And he gave himself. For God so loved the world that he gave himself. That whosoever believes in, in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves the ungodly world. He doesn't love the ungodly, but the ungodly that are in the world. So that's the attribute of God, moral attribute of God. Not merely an emotion, but a decision of his will whereby he gives himself to creation. Amen. Don't talk about love being being a, an emotion all the time. I'm in love. We don't even know what that is. Nor do I, really. I'm in love. You love pizza. You love your new car. Right? Okay. But the decision of the will, and sometimes I don't feel love, but I choose to give myself to certain people, certain situations, because the attribute of God love. Now, the love of God is manifested particularly in redemption. Say redemption. Now watch this. His holiness is will cause him to judge sin. But his love is what allows him to forgive the sinner. You see that? As long as I... Uh, come to the Lord Jesus and I put my sin under the blood, I'm experiencing the love of God. Right? But as long as I'm in my sin, His, His holiness is constantly at war with us. Does that make sense? So holiness judges the sin, but love allows God to forgive the sinner. 
And we're talking about the attribute of God. It's in every word. Whereby he gives himself to his creation. Okay? God is the lover. We have the lover, the love, and the love. The lover, the love, and the love. God is the lover. Okay? Love. Well, we already explained to you what love is. And who's the love? His creation. The lover, the love. The love. Expressed in redemption. Okay? 1 John 4, 8 and 16. God is love. Psalm 11, 7. He loves his people. John 3, 16. Calvary expresses his love. Amen? Right? It expressed his love. Or if you dwell in love, then you will then you dwell in God. 1 John 4, 16 through 19. He calls his people to love. John 17, 24 through 26. Let's go there. Let's apply that attribute of love, moral attribute of God to our own lives. John 17. Seventeen twenty-four. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Okay, amen. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will de declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in thee. Beautiful. Love of God. Right? Okay. In the love of God, the love of God is seen in His goodness. Okay? Say His goodness. How many of y'all have heard that God is good? God is good. The love of God is expressed or seen in His goodness. Now, the goodness of God is His providential care for creation. He provides. Because He provides, He's good. It's providential care for His create creatures, okay? The love of God is seen in the grace of God. The grace of God is undeserved favor bestowed on the sinful man. Okay? Do you understand the grace of God? Undeserved favor bestowed upon sinful men. I thank God for the grace of God. Because that's it's what enables, it's his enabling power to, toward us. And he shows favor to us when we don't deserve it. The grace of God. Undeserved favor bestowed on the sinful man. It is seen in his long suffering and his forbearance. Right? That is included in the, in the grace of God. Then we have mercy. The mercy of God demonstrates His love because the mercy of God is the pity of God upon miserable, the miserable condition of the sinner because of sin. The pity of God upon the 
miserable condition of the sinner because of sin. And then we have the compassion of God. Okay, the love of God is saying the compassion of God. Compassion is sorrow for the suffering of another with the urge to help. Sorrow for the suffering of another with the urge to help. That's compassion. Okay? The kindness of God, the love of God is seen in His kindness, and this is the gentle benevolence of God. Okay? Uh, let's go to Ephesians 2. Kindness of God. Okay, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Okay? Kindness of God is the gentle benevolence of God toward us. Rich in mercy. Okay? Next attribute of God is the last one we'll talk about this morning. It's His perfect faithfulness. Perfect faithfulness. That simply means that he is trustworthy, he's loyal, he's reliable, and he's true to his word. Amen? So, and this is also something God requires us to be Matthew 24. Let's go to there. dealing with the talents verse 24 then he which had received the one talent came and said Lord I knew thee are a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not sought I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth lo there thou hast that is thine the Lord answered me and said unto him thou wicked and slothful servant thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not sought thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers then at my coming, I should have received my own with usury. So I'm not sure at this point if that's the correct verse or not, to be honest with you. But it does stress the importance of being reliable and loyal and true and trustworthy all the time. So anyway, uh, let me go to Isaiah 25.
Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. So he is trustworthy, loyal, reliable, true to his word. So those are the moral attributes of God, and these are the ones that he uh, requires of us. Holiness, perfect righteousness, perfect love, perfect faithfulness. Amen? Okay, so that deals with the nature of God and the attributes of God. Lord willing, we will deal with the Godhead next Sunday morning. Explain the Godhead uh, to you. All right, let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you right now for your word today. We thank you for who you are. all your attributes, everything that makes you to be who you are, God. We thank you, Lord, for the truth, redeeming yourself to us in each and every one of these attributes. Lord, let us walk in the moral attributes and be like you. We give you praise and glory and honor and thanks your awesome word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. We'll see you tonight.